Exclusive Books Homebrew is a celebration of the diversity that is local writing, covering fresh perspectives on history, sharing never-told-before personal stories, challenging established views, and excavating the trough of political policy. Exclusive Books Homebrew. Not the same old story. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by author, journalist, and fearsome cruciverbalist, Jonathan Anser. Mosilo Motepu is just five foot one, and her shoe size is three and a half. But in those tiny shoes, she has stood her ground and stared the dark forces of state capture in the eye. She may have cried a lot, drank wine a lot, and feared for her life, but she never wavered in her country duty efforts to blow the whistle on corruption. In 2016, Mosillo was the CEO of Trillion Financial Advisory. She worked hard, earned a mega salary, drooled over designer bags, and had an eye on a white Range Rover Sport with cream leather interior. She had the world at her feet, but that world came crashing down when she realized she was in the heart of the state capture beast. She could have disappeared into obscurity, but she decided to spill the beans, for which she paid a heavy, heavy price. She was isolated, threatened, ostracized, betrayed, smeared, shunned, persecuted, and ghosted. As a result, she suffered from debilitating insomnia, deep depression, and immense trauma. Mosillo's memoir, Uncaptured, relates the staggering events that led to her Damascene moment, or what she calls her Red Sea conversion, where she exposed the Gupta's influence over our former president and current inmate. She also helped us join the dots on how Trillion siphoned public money from state-owned enterprises. Her story is one of remarkable courage, and although she didn't blow the whistle in order to get thanks, the country owes her a debt of gratitude. Welcome to the Homebrew Podcast Series, Musilo. Please, can you read to us from Uncaptured, the true account of the Nennygate Trillion Whistleblower? Thank you so much, Jonathan. And it's so wonderful for you to say former president and current inmate. <laughs> Even though it's for the wrong charges, um, we are happy at least we have some, some kind of justice in South Africa. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And um, I'm reading from my book, Uncaptured. Uh, we are on page 93. I realized that I had a VIP seat from which to observe looting and corruption on a grand scale. What I had witnessed was just not undue enrichment or undue influence, as stated in public protectors' terms of reference. It was blatant corruptions that ran into millions of rands. Trillion was an extension of the Guptas, and I was part of that. I had the information, but what should I do? At first, I told myself that somebody else will do it. Somebody else will come forward with the information to help Tulima Donsela and protect Praveen Gordon. Who am I? I had no influence. I have no NC credentials. I'm not a minister. I was not born into a family of wealth and influence. Like Moses, I asked, who am I that I should go, I thought. 
I am one meter 58 centimeters black woman with a three and a half shoe size and childlike hands. Believe me, I didn't want to get involved, but I was involved. In fact, I could face jail time for what I had unwittingly been part of at Trillion. I thought about that saying attributed to Irish philosopher Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for a good man to do nothing. Or in my case, a good woman. Am I a good woman? I asked myself. Evil was triumphing in South Africa. Patriots had stood up against the country's destruction. It was my duty to come forward. But what if they kill me, I thought. But then, which side of history do I want to be on? Am I going to allow fear to dictate my next move? The questions went round and round my head. Sipping my Chardonnay, perhaps emboldened by Dutch courage, the question that finally resolved it for me was, what is more dignified for my mom? To lay a wreath on my casket, knowing I did the right thing, or for her to visit me in prison, bearing tampons and contraband, a wreath or tampons. For me, it was the wreath. I went back to the Sunday Times article and I read what Praveen Gordon said, that he was willing to die to stop the thieves from stealing the country. I had never met Praveen, but I knew that he couldn't die alone. Before you testified in Parliament, which is when your identity as the Nennygate whistleblower was going to be revealed, your brother broke the news to your mother about what was going on, and your mother thought you would end up in jail, and <laughs> she wanted to know from your brother why you do this, and your brother responded, because you raised her that way. It was such a moment in the book where I stopped and I thought, wow, you know, your mother must be so proud. She actually cried when she when my brother said that to her. And indeed, as I said, the moment was what is more dignified for her and not for me. You write that telling and retelling the story is traumatizing, and I suppose re-traumatizing. And the scene at Tami Gianni's disciplinary hearing after the Rottweiler attorney had gone for your jugular makes for very difficult reading. Does it still hurt to tell you the story? It does. Let me tell you, um, I have a trauma counselor, as you know, and I see him every week, um, Dr. Richard Middleton. We pick certain memories in my journey and we, we go through them so that in as much as I can't forget them, they will not re-traumatize me. But writing the book through a ghostwriter, that was traumatizing within itself. So there were minutes or moments where I would have to ask for a few minutes as I started to cry over sleep. And having to now edit the book and read it again, more tears, and then having to market it when I was at, in carte blanche or when, when I started uh, the roadshow with Bongani Bingwa. So it was traumatic. In as much as I saw that exclusive books, I was in the top 20, top 10, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I had to, for the first time, the last time I took my anxiety pills was when I went to, to, the, to the Zondo Commission in January. And only now, when I look back, I'm, I'm happy that, wow, my book actually did well and, and I'm happy. But it was re-traumatizing. And I remember my psychiatrist suggesting, you know, artists have two personalities, like Beyonce, he said. She has Sasha Fierce, 
who she goes on stage and then she's just a timid Beyonce at home. I said, unfortunately, I went through it <laughs> and people want to know the personal journey because they already know about the state capture. They want to know about the deep and dark, the mental illness, the depression, the substance abuse, the tears. That is the, the part they want to deal with. And as I'm telling it, my psychiatrist says, the body doesn't differentiate you telling people about it and it going through it. So it's the same reaction. So in as much as I'm very happy that I've gotten so much attention, it's been very, very psychologically re-traumatizing. But um, as you can see, we've just decided now to just scale back and ensure that I don't have more than two interviews a week. I think you should ask the people who are interviewing you, like me, to, <laughs> to contribute towards your therapy uh, sessions. Thank you very much, because as you saw in the book, in February, I had maxed out my savings and I spent 420,000 rand on medical. I mean, I think the next book I can, I can actually write about how trauma affects the body and the mind and the soul. And that trauma was caused by whistleblowing. If you want to put a price tag to yourself of what it cost, never mind the job that you left and all the other fallout, um, there was actually a real price tag that came with it. Absolutely. Undoubtedly, the main villain in your book is your ex-boss, Eric Wood. Um, do you know if he's, <laughs> if he's read the book? I don't know. Uh, we don't uh, chat. <laughs> 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 I'm sure he has out of curiosity, um, because I, I have people who have called me and they've read the book and some were like, oh, thank God you painted me in a good way. And I said, no, I didn't paint anybody in a good way or in a bad way. It was my story and I just wrote what you did and what you said. So if you were good, I would paint you in a good way. If you were bad, then you're going to be bad. So now my friends and everybody around me, they're like, are you writing a next book? Because now they're very nervous <laughs> <laughs> as to uh, how I'm going to write about them in <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> These people have a talent for stealing. And you did actually mention this. But if they poured their evil genius towards country duty, South Africa would be in a much better space. I wondered if you had to encounter Eric Wood, what would you say to him? I would actually ask him, was it really worth it? Is another Aston Martin, another farm or a rhino really worth the country? I mean, he was raised in the West Rand in Rudaport. And I'm sure he's very proud of his uh, neighbor who just won gold at uh, swimming at the Olympics. But he was wealthy from the Investec days in the 80s and the 90s. He was already living in Santos. He was already earning millions of rands and uh, huge bonuses. And I would actually ask him, was the country really worth you selling your soul for? And those material, undue Aston Martins and Ferraris and uh, farms. And um, I mean, his net worth after trillion was just over three quarters of a billion rand. That's ridiculous. And all of that money was state coffers. So... For me, it will be like, was it really worth it? And not even empathy, not even sympathy, but pity that you have allowed the devil and the material wealth to actually capture your soul. And for me, that's a moral bankruptcy. What comes across strongly in the book is your frustration with empty promises, 
by well-meaning people and what you refer to as hashtag activism. You are in a WhatsApp group of whistleblowers, but what should happen to protect whistleblowers from suffering the way that you have suffered? There's so much that needs to happen. I'll start with the legislation, number one. When I was at the Zondo Commission in December, my first appearance, I, I asked for a closing statement and I just relayed the trauma and the challenges that whistleblowers go through. That the current legislation was not designed for grand theft. It was designed for, I think, a, a working system where Mandela's president <laughs> and your boss has integrity and, and the legal system has integrity. So what the PDA, it says that you cannot be fired or sidelined or suspended as a consequence of your whistleblowing. But what happens if your boss is Eric Wood? What happens if the board is captured? Like at Trillion, who do I blow the whistle to? And what happens when now the chief of police is, is also captured and the president is captured? So I suggested looking at the American legislation and the German legislation where there's maybe like a chapter nine institution where there is maybe a retired judge and other different role players, somebody who can assist me legally to disclose the information, to protect me physically, to protect me from, from civil and criminal litigation. As you saw in my book, my legal bill mounted up to 1,300,000 rand uh, in as much as I never had any physical um threats. I always feared for my safety and also reward. Um, I said, it's very important. And as you said, I didn't whistleblow to be thanked. I didn't whistleblow to be rewarded. But you always have to incentivize people. You know, a normal crime wanted a reward of Jonathan Stoll. And I saw him run this way. And I know he's my neighbor. And if I call the police, I'm going to get two million rand. Uh, if he's uh, successfully prosecuted, why does that not apply to white collar crime? So the, America has a system where you get up to 10 to 30 percent of the proceeds. For example, if I assisted ESCOM under the leadership of Bakamane Khadebe and uh, the late chairperson to get just under 700 million rand from um, Trillion, uh, they went to the Bloemfontein court and uh, their matter was not heard on appeal. And so if I was in America, I would have, let's say, 10% of that, which is 70 million. I would be speaking to you from Mauritius right now <laughs> or the Caribbean, enjoying my cocktails. And then also society. We need active citizenry. I only started joining Twitter and uh, Instagram when the book launched. And my posts are mostly about the book. But people complain about the government on Twitter, hashtag Zuma must fall, hashtag Haya Musilo, for example. And I was saying, you know, when my debit orders were coming through and I hadn't worked for two years, I couldn't tell my bank, hashtag pay, <laughs> hashtag pay my bond. <laughs> it was only the likes of Rob Shooter, who's an angel of mine, who picked up the phone and said, come through to MTN. It was Pluff who said, listen, we hear that you're being bullied by uh, corporate and uh, politically, because of your disclosure, we've just opened a, an African branch. We will squash your legal bill. And they currently still support me today. So we need uh, more people to be active citizens. And nobody even picked up the call and said, Musilo, you know, here's 50 rand for petrol. Here's It was just hashtag 
And unfortunately, imagine if our liberators, Mandela's and the Susulus were like, hashtag apartheid must fall. Where would we be in South Africa? (laughs) (laughs) After all you've been through, are you still optimistic about the country? Optimistic. I am cautiously optimistic. In my book, I say I feel like I've run a 400 relay challenge and it's just me. There's no team. And I have given the baton to Shamila Bidoy and her team. And they, the wheels of justice are turning extremely slow. And I'm hoping that maybe one or two people will be jailed and one or two rands will be recovered. But um, part of my, my therapy is, Musilo, what happens if nobody goes to jail? And what happens if not a single cent is recovered? How will you feel? So I'm going through a process of divesting my interests in injustice uh, because at the end of the day, it's like passing on that baton to your teammate. And if that teammate just drops it, even if I've run the fastest on the track and the teammate drops it, it'll be disappointing, but I can't really invest too much in justice. All I know is that when I sleep at night, even though it's with sleeping pills, um, not cannabis. I've, yes, and <laughs> cannabis. And before it was, it was legal, by the way. I had a dealer. <laughs> so you I had did, a dealer. You, sorry, I've, I've interrupted you, but you blow the whistle on yourself in the book. You confess to two things. The one thing is uh, buying cannabis oil, not only for yourself, but for your mother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> before it was legal. And then the other confession, the other blowing your, the whistle on yourself, is when uh, the president, uh, Ramaphosa, phoned you for the first time and you were in bed and I think the phrase you used was oh natural oh, oh natural with a, uh, with a champagne babalas <laughs> and I just I just thought to myself thank goodness it wasn't a video call <laughs> oh my goodness and <laughs> the president has actually sent me a message saying oh my goodness so he says Musilo tampons or reef. <laughs> He's like, I thought I knew you. <laughs> he says, I need to get my signed copy. I'm like, of course, Mr. President, you can have your copy. And finally, a question from an exclusive books reader, Viwe, wants to know, what do you hope your book will achieve? You know, I decided to write this book in January 2020. I was having a brunch alone. Of course, it included, I like my mimosas without the orange juice. (laughs) (laughs) And I was asking God, everybody now is looking at the entry of a new decade. And so I looked at the past decades. The first five years were okay, were great actually. But the last five years were hell. And I asked, why did I go through that? What was the purpose? Surely there has to be something. And he said to me, I needed to show you my power and I needed to show the world that miracles still happen and people can still stand with that conviction. And irrespective of whether you're Muslim or you're Jewish or you're Christian or you're an atheist, that at the end of the day, the truth will prevail. So my book was essentially to show and demonstrate the strength and resilience of the human spirit in any form. And also show them that life is, in as much as I had suffered, I mean, I almost went bankrupt. And within two years, and I won't spoil it for the readers, I was completely debt-free. 
And now I'm like a pensioner. <laughs> when the interest <laughs> rates go down, I'm very depressed because now I'm completely debt free through the miracles that my readers have to read. There's a chapter called Angels and Demons, but I need it to be tested. And unfortunately, right now, people are saying, you know, I wish I had your life. Yesterday, I just got a, an email from somebody who wants to buy the movie rights to my book. And people are saying, I wish I had your life. And I said, are you willing to also have the last five years of my life? They say, no, no, no. We only want this part. And I said, well, you can't. <laughs> There's no glory without suffering. And my story is so great because it shows the power of faith and conviction and standing your ground, whether you are going through a divorce. I mean, I've had people who've read my book. They were in abusive relationships. They've left. I've had people who were nervous about changing careers or starting businesses. And they say, if Musilo had such conviction and faith, I can do this small thing in my world. And I think I've accomplished that through the book, saying that, you know what, at the end of the day, stand up for something. It's not easy. You're going to cry. You're going to curse God. You're even going to exit the WhatsApp group. <laughs> but, you, <laughs> but you'll return eventually when it's your time. Who will play you in the movie if they do make a movie? Naomi Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Uncaptured reveals fascinating insight into a very dirty chapter of South Africa's history and present. Mosillo writes with honesty, humility, and humor in the hope that others who find themselves in a similar situation will follow in her footsteps and speak truth to power. Mosillo lost so much when she blew the whistle on state capture but she didn't lose her integrity. Thank you so much for joining us, Mosilo. This is a wonderful book that you've written and thank you for your courage. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I hope everybody goes, buys the book. Give it to your moms, your dads, everybody. And the audio book is coming out and hopefully the movie. <laughs> 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 then I can finally go to Mauritius and just retire on the beach. <laughs> With my Chardonnay, of course. <laughs> of course. And your designer bags. Yes, of course. Yes. They'll, yes. No, no, no. I'm, I'm over that phase now. I think, no, actually I'm not. I will never be. <laughs> <laughs> I call them my school fees. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Homebrew. Do you have a question you'd like to ask our homebrew authors? Send us your question and you could win a 200 Rand exclusive books voucher if yours gets chosen. WhatsApp a voice note to 079-664-0465. That's 079-664-0465. Or email social media at exclusivebooks.co.za. To find out who our upcoming authors are, just follow Exclusive Books on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This homebrew podcast was produced by Jonathan Anser, Dan Dews, and Lerato Sebanda for Exclusive Books. Books available in-store and online at exclusivebooks.co.za. Homebrew, not the same old story. Homebrew.